0: Paul, an Apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus, came into the world to save sinners of whom i am the worst although i hope to come to you soon i am writing you these instructions so that if i am delayed you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in god's household which is the church of the living god beyond all question the mystery from which true god the springs is great he appeared in the flesh was vindicated by the spirit was seen by angels was preached among the nations was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Fight the good fight of the faith. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Grace be with you all. as if we don't have enough technical stuff to worry about, right? Now we're adding something else to the mix, but we've had a lot of feedback on people who uh, would like to see the verses up on the screen uh, more. We kind of have to choose between the live shots for the live stream and then the verses on the screen. So we hope this will be kind of a combination of both. Uh, Just go ahead and give them a shot of the two together so they can see what we're talking about there. So the screen will display the verse, and, uh, and then you can see that on, this, on both screens as well. So hopefully it'll be just a little advantage when we're looking at the Scripture because, as I say all the time when I'm talking, I, the, the Scripture is the authority, not me. And so it's really, really important that we understand that I'm not just pulling this stuff out of the air, that Scripture talks about these things, and we preach Scripture. That's what God's called me to do, and that's what God's called all pastors to do. Unfortunately, so many pastors throughout this nation and the world are dropping the ball on this. And preaching opinions, and that never ends well, does it? Uh, I was thinking about an illustration to kind of start off the fact that something we've outgrown, think about something you've outgrown over your lifetime, something that you used to love that maybe you just got, you know, it's just beyond it now. I think about my bicycle. Growing up as a kid, my bike was like my most important thing, and I loved as I got older, my parents gave me like a little more freedom to navigate and and to explore some of the streets around. So, you know, when I was like seven or eight, I could do my street, Walter Street there in Ripley, where they still live. And then as I got older, I could go to First Avenue, Second Avenue, Third Avenue. Charleston Drive was always my buffer. I wasn't allowed on Charleston Drive. That was where my stopping point But I could do everything kind of east of that. And so I, I loved that. And even up when I was, you know, 13, 14, and 15, my bike was really handy, I enjoyed it. It was some freedom that I could get to where I wanted to go. But you know what happened when I turned the day I turned 16 and got my driver's license? My bike was out the door. I no longer loved it anymore. I literally outgrew my bike. I did not uh, desire to be on it anymore. Why? Because it served its purpose, but it was past tense. It was history. It, It worked for me, but now I was moving on to bigger and better things. I use that to illustrate the fact that I think a lot of people see the gospel that way. They see the gospel as something that you outgrow. The gospel is beneficial to come to Christ, to get you into heaven, to have your salvation, but then you kind of don't need the gospel anymore. And we talk about the gospel all the time here because the gospel is something that believers need as well. The truth is that while non-believers need the gospel to understand sin and their need for Jesus, believers need the gospel for the very same reason because no matter how much you've learned, how much you've matured, how much you've grown up, you still desperately need God's grace in your struggle with sin. And so we look at the gospel and we learn how to relate to sin as an unbeliever, but also as a believer. So the fact is, as we get to know Jesus more, we're going to become more aware of our sin. We're going to see our sin for the way that God sees it, and we become even more grateful for the grace that he's given to us. And so that's what we talk about when we say preach the gospel to yourself, kind of like when Roy was explaining, you know, death was arrested. What does that mean? What does it mean when we say preach the gospel to yourself? What is that talking about? Paul Tripp, who I quote often here, he says, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. Now, some of you may have a spouse and you're saying, well, and that's not really true in our relationship. For the most part, you talk to yourself more than anybody else talks to you. And so how gospel centered you are in your conversations really matters how you see yourself, how you see your sin, how you see the righteousness and grace of Jesus, and not just looking back past tense on that grace, but seeing the future grace and the grace that we need. And so that's what Paul is gonna get at here today in verse 15 and 16 when he talks about that, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And he says, but I received mercy. So he's reflecting on the gospel, that he needed the gospel, but he still needs the gospel. He's not saying that he's worse than everybody else that's sitting out there. We'll talk about this verse in a second. But he's saying is that he needs the gospel. He needed the gospel. He continues to need the gospel. And the gospel is he received mercy and we continue to, to receive that mercy. That's the gospel. We preach it over and over and over again to ourselves. We talk to ourselves with the gospel. As we face situations or people or circumstances, we understand that Pride is not the way that we should view situations, our natural intelligence, even our theology, but it's a dependence. It's a humility that's based upon the gospel that is all God, all Christ, all salvation that He gave us by grace through faith. And so that's what we're going to look at today in First Timothy chapter one. We're going to be in verses 12 through 16. So verses 12 through 16, let's read that together. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord. "...because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners." of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray and let's look at these verses. Father God, we thank you so much. For your word that gives us truth. We thank you for the believers that are here that have all believers have the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that's in our hearts and in our lives right now, that brings to life the words, that makes these lives, these words more than just words on a page, but they make them part of our very being, our very DNA. And God, if there's someone here who the words are meaningless, that they can just go in one ear and out the other, God, help them to reflect upon. Who you are and what you've done, and God help them to confess even now the sins they have in their life that may be hindering their ability to hear clearly from Your Word today. Today, God, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. As I said, we're looking through the Book of Timothy. The Book of Timothy, Paul is writing to his protege. Uh, He sent him to Ephesus to pastor this church there, and Paul sends him there. Timothy gets there. He realizes this thing's a mess. Paul knew that. Paul sent him there for that reason. There's false teachers. Timothy's a younger man. And so Paul writes to him a letter to encourage him, to strengthen him. So that's what we're reading is Paul's letter to Timothy to help him as he combats these false teachers, as he stands up against them, as he does battle for the gospel. And so I get a question. Why are people so easily deceived? In Scripture, as, as you look at scripture, you see within a few years of Paul starting churches and churches being started throughout Asia Minor and through other places, even the church in Jerusalem. It's only a matter of it seems like weeks, years for sure, before false teaching starts happening. And these false teachers take over and people are drawn into it. And all of a sudden that the Paul or another apostle has to write and say, hey, guard the truth, guard the truth. Why is that? I mean, think about it. These, especially these Gentile believers, think of the transformation that's happened in their life. They went from worshiping these pagan idols. In Ephesus, they were actually, many of them were involved in magic and sorcery and those type of things. And they had this amazing conversion to Jesus through the preaching of Paul and through others. And they experienced this incredibly liberating world of grace. They see Jesus. They see what he's done, that he's forgiven them of the penalty of sin. And he's delivered them from their destination, which was eternal separation from God but then we see these false teachers come in and begin to teach. And oftentimes these gullible Christians like, draw to them and, and they're, they're captivated. What's going on? I think it's similar to what we may have experienced or you may have experienced in your own relationship with Jesus. See, as a new Christian, what do we say? You're kind of on the honeymoon period, right? You're All of a sudden, you, you're, you're really amazed at this grace that God has given. You're really, really excited about all that God's done for you in Christ. And not only do you think that you're saved from the sin's penalty, but it almost feels like you're saved from sin's influence as well. What do I mean by that? All of a sudden you think, like, sin's not a problem for me anymore. Like, God saved me. He put me in Christ. He gave me this new kingdom, the kingdom of light. I'm out of the kingdom of darkness. All of a sudden, this major transformation's happened. I hate sin. I'm never going to sin again. And then all of a sudden, shortly after being a Christian, Sin rears its ugly head and all of a sudden you realize that while you were saved from the penalty of sin, the influence of sin continues to track after you and follow after you in sometimes more so in more visible ways than before when you were an unbeliever and so there's these, these young christians one of the reasons they're at risk is they have a misunderstanding of the gospel they don't understand what we talked about in the last series sanctification and how god works in us so paul is going to write to timothy today and he's going to tell him not only to guard the gospel but he's also going to say to celebrate the gospel be celebrating the gospel look at verse 12 again he says i thank him who who has given me strength jesus christ or christ jesus our lord Because he judged me faithful, appointing me into his service. So Paul is celebrating and he's given thanks to Jesus. He's personally encountered Jesus. On the road to Damascus, if you don't know this story, go back to Acts. Just read the book of Acts if you're unfamiliar. It tells about the early church and it tells about how everything got going. Once the gospel, Jesus had rose and ascended back into heaven and the church sprang up and people were excited for what was going on. And here Paul was persecuting. We're going to see in a second. He was persecuting, but he encounters Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he immediately realized how unworthy he was. That's what he's getting at here. He's not saying I'm not responsible, but he's realized immediately how he needed Jesus. So here we kind of have Paul's personal testimony, so to speak. Paul is sharing how he came to faith, what he was like before Christ. He says in verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly, in unbelief. So before Paul met Jesus, he was literally wrecking havoc upon the church in Jerusalem. He was literally authorized by the religious establishment of his day to go and track down these new Jesus followers, these new churches that were springing up, these new Christians that were preaching this heresy. And he was to track them down, to imprison, to persecute them. And even in some cases, he was authorized to put them to death. And he thought during this time, he thought he was serving God. He thought he was doing something noble. And his desire was to completely wipe out this church, the, the, this Christianity, these Jesus followers, these, these people who were leading people away from Judaism. But look what he said in verse 13. He says, but I, acted, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. and unbelief. I think Paul's point there is that his salvation was completely undeserved. He's not saying that his ignorance excused his sin in any way. But Paul was working so hard to destroy the followers of Jesus. And in that, he was ignorant of Jesus as opposed to the false teachers that he's confronting who professed Jesus, who said they believed in Jesus and still were living this evil way and teaching these evil things. And so Paul says, it's the grace of the Lord that overflowed to me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. This grace overflowed this 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 love and faith overflowed, Paul says to me, because of all, because of Jesus Christ. Growing up in church, one of I would say the most interesting nights we often experienced was, as a kid, was testimony night, open mic testimony night. All right, looking back on it, makes me wonder if the pastor just really wanted a night off from preaching a sermon, so he's like, open mic night. All right, tell us what's happened, give us your personal testimony. But it, it was so interesting, and I must say, as a as a kid. I found this thing very amusing because people would stand up, and some of the things they would talk about in their past. I mean, as a kid, like this was like R-rated, right? I mean, they were saying things I should not have been hearing in church. And but most of, of the testimonies that were given kind of followed a similar pattern. It was my life was such a wreck. I used to do this stuff, and there was a list of things they used to do back in college when they were young around town. But I accepted Jesus. You know, it's almost like I did Jesus a favor. I accepted Jesus. Now I thank God that I'm not like my old friends out there. I have a great life. I wake up with his purpose. And God is great because all the stuff that he's given to me, me, and me, me. All right? And oftentimes, the hero of the testimony was me. It was, look how great I am. And Jesus, yeah, he added this to my life. He gave me blessing. And it was all like this soft prosperity thing. It's like, I accepted Jesus. Now all these great things are happening in my life. And it's really, in some ways, not much different than if you're watching late night TV and see infomercials come on. It's like that guy who said, you know, I I, uh, started doing avid and now I'm totally different. My life is so much better, you know, or, you know, I was so down, I was so depressed and I discovered Beachbody and got on this diet, and all of a sudden my life is just, it's, it's, it's amazing. And it was almost like that. It's like, hey, Jesus made my life this awesome, amazing thing. And the gospel, though, is not what happened to John Woodrum. And the gospel is not what happened to you. Now, our personal stories are powerful. They can really make a dent. Oftentimes they're a great place to start, but God makes no promises that he will use your story or my story as the power of the gospel to salvation. Hear that. He does not promise that he's going to use our story as the power for salvation. What's the power of salvation? The gospel proclamation, the person and work of Jesus, and how we must respond in faith to him. That's where the power of the gospel finds its work. The power of the gospel finds its work in the proclamation of Jesus, lifting up Jesus. And we got to be really careful because we can take our testimonies all of a sudden paint us as a hero. And that guy with the open mic on that night, man, he loves the attention. I want everybody to look at me, and I'm going to use this gospel to get my attention and make me look really, really great. And my life's perfect. You know what I rarely heard in those testimony nights? Rarely was honest, honest, authentic expressions of their struggle still with sin how they're still struggling with this thing in their marriage or in their life, and, you know, or parenting, you know, they're really struggling learning how to be the best parent they can be, and they're trying to be more gospel-centered in their parenting. I never heard that. It was all about what God's done for me, and it's all blessing, blessing, blessing. And as Charles pointed out today, blessed are the persecuted, right? The persecuted. We're persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so the gospel, he's taking Paul, or Timothy back to the gospel, and he's saying, if God can change me, There's no limit to God's transforming power. And unlike the message of the false teachers, the gospel has real power. It has real power. And so Timothy may feel in this situation like he's in over his head. This is too big for him. Young guy, I I can't do this. But Paul says it's about preaching the gospel. The gospel is what changes people's lives. Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Making sure I didn't skip ahead. Yep, I'm right. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Look at those two words because they seem very synonymous. Mercy, faith, I mean grace, grace and mercy seem very much the same. And they are very closely related. But I love the distinction that honestly is there. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you absolutely don't deserve. All right? And maybe you're thinking, well, it's really early in the morning. Help me out there. That seems very much the same. Let me read it again. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You don't get the punishment you deserve. Grace is getting what you absolutely don't deserve. And Paul recognized that it's more than just mercy for him, that God poured out his grace upon him, that God took this guy who was at his wildest, persecuting the church, destroying the church, fighting against God, fighting against Christ. And not only did he forgive him of all the things that he did, but he took him and he gave him this amazing calling, amazing ministry. And God did the same thing for you. And you think, well, yeah, not at the level of Paul. I don't have the influence of Paul, but we all have influence because of God's grace that you're not headed to hell and because of his mercy that he's given you so many things that are undeserving to you he's giving you his very life his holy spirit his word he's giving you the the power to die to self and grow in your relationship with jesus christ he's given you um ephesians says he, he's given you everything you need for a life of godliness second peter one he's given you all the things that are necessary to add to your faith and to keep growing and so to think so to think that your salvation is simply just an escape from hell, so misses the point. Your life is for the glory of God. Your life is to point people to Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul does. Look what he does. First he says, I'm just going to give you the gospel here in nine words. This this saying, he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of, of whom I am the foremost Look what he says here. He says, Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ came. We know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but Jesus didn't come from Bethlehem. He's pointing to Jesus Christ being so much more than what oftentimes these people in these churches imagine Jesus to be. That Jesus wasn't this this Jewish guy who taught things and was wise and did miracles, but Jesus existed as the second person of the Trinity, from eternity past. Jesus was God incarnate. He came, God in the flesh, to us. And why did He come? Look what He said. He came to save sinners. Jesus came to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved to die, and to rise in victory over the enemies that we could not conquer sin and death. That's what Jesus did. And there was nothing, Paul's pointing out, there's nothing that these false teachers in their Miss, there are speculations, there are genealogies, this stuff that we talked about the last few weeks that they're pushing forward, can compare to the gospel. There's nothing that can compare to this. And Paul says, "Don't move on from this. This is trustworthy. It's deserving of full acceptance." Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What sinners? All sinners who would embrace Jesus in His good news. And He says, "Of whom I am the foremost." So the more Paul grew in his grasp of the incredible magnitude of God's grace, the more he saw his own naturally sinful condition. And that will happen to you too. The more that you're in God's word, the more that you're reflecting upon the gospel, the more you're seeing his mercy and his grace, you can't help but to just magnify him more, to respond to that with this incredible gratitude. With this incredible understanding, as Paul says in Romans 12, that my life is now a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is my spiritual act of worship. My spiritual act of worship isn't filling a seat on Sunday. Check. My spiritual act of worship isn't even saying a prayer or doing a good deed. My spiritual act of worship is, Jesus, you did everything for me. You own me. My life is yours. That's what the gospel teaches us. And so Paul repeats again how he's just indebted to Christ's grace and His mercy in rescuing Him. But now he gives us the reasons. And he, again, he reiterates, but I received mercy for this reason. What reason is that, Paul? Just so he could go to heaven? Absolutely not. That in me, as the foremost, again, he points to as the foremost sinner. He understands, you know, he's looking at his life, not other people's. Jesus Christ, what, might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now there's a testimony. Here's what my life's for. It's for an example to show others Jesus Christ. It's to point people to Jesus. And Jesus is going to use Paul's life as a prime example of what God's grace And his goodness and his mercy can do. Not Paul's greatness. Not Paul's goodness. Not Paul's mercy. It's Christ working through him. Christ working in him. So do you want to allow your life to shine like that? Let me me just, I mean, we talk about just being in the word on a daily basis all the time. All the time we talk about that. And we talk about the dangers, how that can just become just a, a mindless routine that we just go through. And I encourage you again, as I've done before Deepen your grasp of grace, of God's grace. God loves you because of who He is, not because of who you are. God loves you because of who He is, not because of who you are. So deepen your your grasp of of His grace. As you allow the Word to speak, as you allow the the Word just to marinate over your heart, respond to that grace. Look at that grace. Ponder that grace. Realize the greatness of God, and God will humble you As you reflect upon the gospel, he's gonna humble you. And when he humbles you, all of a sudden, you can get out of the way. You're not the hero anymore. God is the hero. And then your relationships, in your family, in your interactions, even with those who despise the gospel, you're not pushing forward your agenda. You're not pushing forward your ego or your defensiveness or your arguments. You're pushing forth Jesus Christ because you're humbled by the gospel. And grace is only ever attractive to sinners. It is. It's only ever attractive to sinners. People who are not sinners don't need grace. And so we're humbled. That's where the gospel continues to humble us. I need your grace because I understand my dual identity as both a saint who's been declared righteous, but also I sin and I sin often. And even when you don't see me sin, there can be sin in my heart and sin in my mind. And so I fall at the foot of the cross every day seeking the grace because it's attractive to me. I need it to live. And many can talk a great talk about grace. Many people can open their Bibles and share the theology of grace and the gospel of grace from an intellectual point of view. But when it comes to actually allowing it to penetrate our emotions, our attitudes, so many fall short because they really don't understand grace grace is just a theory it's a thing jesus did for the world and it doesn't impact us personally because why we're unwilling to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross and say i need you jesus i need you every hour i need you is that what your quiet time looks like is that what your time with god looks like and some of you are thinking, well, I just don't even have a time with God. Well, how are you going to radiate and shine the love of Christ and the gospel, as Paul is saying his life does as an example, if you don't even know God, if you're not spending time with Jesus? And then those who do have a regular routine. I encourage you to get back to what it's all about. Every passage of Scripture can point you to the gospel. Every passage of Scripture. And so look, here's what happens when the gospel really begins to impact you. Look what Paul responds. He just shines. He just breaks out in spontaneous praise to God, to the King of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Just look at those words for a second. Just let that sink in for a second. This is Paul. This, he's writing out his letter to Timothy. And all of a sudden, he just breaks out in praise. I mean, it's just kind of out of place, and so to speak. You know, it's just, I just need to take a second and just describe God the best that I can to lift up God in his glory to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Those are the kind of moments. That we know we've been with Jesus when that happens, when we're seeking Him in Scripture, or even me—I'm writing a sermon, I'm, I'm working on it, I'm in there, and I'm, I'm pondering, I'm thinking, I'm reading, and all of a sudden, it's just, it just—it just grabs your own heart, it just grabs a hold and says, "Thank you, God, you're so amazing." And I heard this advice from a 16-year-old girl when I was a youth pastor. She said, "John, don't ever, Pastor John, don't ever speak something to us." that hasn't first changed your own heart. Don't get up and give us Scripture that hasn't first just worked you over and changed you. What a great piece of advice from a very, very young person. The gospel wants to change our hearts, and when it does, it humbles us, and we begin to shine His glory, not our glory. It's about Him, not about us. So head, heart, and hands, application. In your head, know this. Your salvation was a gift from God. It was all grace. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not by works. Not by earning it. Not by thinking if I just do enough to measure up that God will accept me. It's all grace. And prideful people have a hard time with grace. You accept it. And then you celebrate it. Celebrate grace by freely admitting every day how much you need it. Make that a regular part of your time with God. You're just celebrating His grace and exclaiming how much you need it. Confessing your sins. God, I need your grace. And then hands. Extend that grace to other people. Extend that grace to other people. We're almost done. Stay right here. Extend that grace to others. You see, we can receive the gospel, but when we're not preaching the gospel to ourselves, we say... I can take your grace from you, God, but I can't give it to someone else because they've done too much. They've hurt me too much. You can imagine the pain they put me through. And you give a long list of things why you feel like they're not entitled to grace, as if you were, right? Remember what grace is. Grace is not only not getting what you deserved, but you've been given so much more. You've been given everything that God has to offer his children in Christ Jesus. I'm not being given punishment, but I'm been given the riches of Jesus Christ. Why can't we do that for others? What stops us from just letting other people off the hook? I read this, and I'll close with this. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he says, ungrace, his word for the opposite of grace, ungrace does its work Quietly and lethally, like a poisonous, undetectable gas. Ungrace works that way. A father dies unforgiven. A mother who once carried a child in her own body doesn't speak to her child for half of its life. The toxin steals on from generation to generation. Ungrace. When we see the gospel... When we know we haven't outgrown the gospel then all of a sudden our testimony becomes about jesus the hero not john the hero and i humble myself every day needing that grace i celebrate the grace and then i'm more free to extend that grace to everyone around me let's pray father god we thank you for your word that just reminds us of our constant need For you God may we with Paul realize that we should be the worst sinners that we know and if not for your grace we'd be destined for eternal separation from you God for those who are working hard to earn your favor they think that they have to do all the nice things and the good things to measure up and to be accepted help them to just receive grace today through what Jesus did on the cross for them live the life they can never live, die the death they could never live, and help them to just put their faith fully and completely in that. And then be propelled by humility and grace to extend that grace and love others. In Jesus' name we pray.